0: that we had back then, Father, you're only looking forward to the successes we have in the future. And to do that, Father, we ask that you would allow us to study your word, uh, put what you have in your spirit, in our hearts, let us understand what you have in mind for us, and Father, give us the strength and wisdom to do the things you would have us do. Father, at this time, we just ask that you would allow us to put the world aside and let us focus on your will and focus on your word, and let us learn from what you would have in mind. And it's in Christ's name we do pray, Amen. So we started a couple of weeks ago talking about leadership. I'll slide back just a little bit, give those coming in a, a chance to come on in. Um, and so leadership is one of the, the ways of making sure that we have everybody working together. One of the joint principles is uh, ensure unified effort under one commander for every objective where unity of command is not possible, i.e. where you can't have one person, one singular individual driving things unity of effort is paramount and so in the churches of Christ unity of effort is what we're looking for so collectively each of the churches are working together to accomplish god's purpose but within each of the churches we don't have a single elder because a single eldership isn't exactly how the scripture lines it up the the elders and then every time the the elder word is used it's typically plural um, Ricky, correct me if I'm wrong, I've never seen elder used singularly. Thank you. So in that context, it, you can't have a single elder in a church. It, it's designed to have two or more, preferably three. Three or more elders is kind of that, that magic number. And odd is better because then you don't have ties and you, you get into interesting things. Anyway, that's, that's human dynamics. The more important thing is, as we look into the church itself, the church is going to have a dynamic sense of leadership. There is going to be a person who will typically be in charge of smaller things like a deacon. And then the elders, plural, are going to oversee kind of how the church is run. But let me ask, are deacons and elders the only leadership that the church has? No. There are people who will naturally step up into a particular task or or cutting the lawn or just doing things around the, the church. And they take leadership. They take responsibility for doing that, and that's kind of what leadership is about: is about taking responsibility and and making sure that something happens the way it's supposed to. Um, as always, I've got a little anecdotal story, um, and this is about one that I heard. I, again, it's I can't guarantee the authenticity of it. It's kind of like a preacher story, but it it has all the right pieces and all the right elements to make it to make it really sing. So, and it was told to me by a good buddy who I have confidence in. Uh, he was telling me about this guy who was, who was a buddy of his, a uh, uh, Marine officer, a uh, lieutenant who was put in charge of a, a hard case platoon prior to Desert Storm. And the, the platoon had a reputation for kind of being gold brickers and, and trying to get out of work and loafing, and that's hard to do in the Marine Corps. Marine Corps is not a place you can gold brick. but these guys had, a, had a tendency to do that. And what they would do is when they would run, a couple of the members would, would start to feign heat uh, fatigue, heat frustration. And so he, he took over this place. And so they were like, ah, okay, there's got to be a way to keep these guys motivated. But, but when you have somebody complain of heat exhaustion, you have to treat that seriously. You have to kind of go, okay, somebody's exhibiting symptoms of heat exhaustion and, and we can't, you know, exercise in the heat the way we want to. So, so that person or, or several people would start to walk and then before too long, the whole platoon would just be walking along and, and, and check and, you know, and, and, and chatting with, with everybody else. So the Lieutenant being studious, uh, goes to his medical uh, board and starts asking around. And, and the only way to guarantee you understand exactly what heat, prost- heat exhaustion is, is you have to get the body temperature. And he said, okay, but, but how can I be sure I've got the right body temperature? The doc said, oh sure, it, it's a rectal examination. Got it. Check. He went out and got him a a nice rectal thermometer. And at the next march, when they were doing PT, he said, okay, ladies and gentlemen, here's the story. I only have one way of confirming heat exhaustion. And here it is. Miraculously, the entire platoon (laughs) performed the PT without ever complaining about heat exhaustion. And so he continued going through his training and his drills Trying to find ways to encourage and motivate the platoon to make sure that they were top-notch and ready to go. And when Desert Storm was kicked off, well, Lieutenant's platoon went out, performed the mission, came back successfully, and the lieutenant you know got awarded an accolades for, for being a brilliant leader. And and leadership is kind of that way. It it's a combination of trying to be encouraging and motivating. Uh, being that ear that somebody can lean on uh, or talk to or it's you're there you you show responsibility you show that that I care about you and I care about what we're doing together and so leadership is absolutely paramount in the church Um, in a military organization you're there because you raised your hand and said I'll do this for four years or however long you're going to do it in a church membership is much more dynamic it's it's I'm coming because I feel compelled by God's will to do this thing. And when we're all driven by God's will, we all have to be comfortable that the person or persons that I'm following have a like mindset. Is that true or, or, or can, can we say that, okay, I, I guess I'm head nods. So it's kind of important that we all agree that we're serving God's will. And as I discussed a few weeks ago, there's a lot of perspective on what I think God's will is for me and what somebody else's perspective is on God's will for them. And they can both be correct. Those perspectives help bring us together because we're looking at the same objective, but we're coming at it from different directions. And therefore I have different priorities and and different things in my life that are important to me. So how do we deal with this humanity this, this group of people that are all trying to serve this common objective, and how do we do it right? There's a lot of biblical examples of how to do it right. I'm going to propose that we look at a case where it went wrong to start with. Where did leadership go wrong in the Bible? And there's a pretty good example of it in Revelations, chapter 2, verses 18. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira. I write, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, And she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Okay, I want to pause on that last statement, come back to that in a minute, but I want to start with what happened to this church? They had love, they had faith, they had service, they had works. What failed? What went wrong? They allowed a Jezebel to come in and usurp the authority of the leaders. Now, what was this person doing? What was this Jezebel doing that was wrong? Worshiping other gods and teaching false doctrine, teaching how to, how to, teaching things that were not in accordance with scripture. Okay. And, and that's kind of a, a broad enough road that we can say that trying to teach things that are against scripture, because she was teaching things that, and and I'm going to kind of create a little bit of a path here. There are things that are absolutely doctrine, unequivocal. We get it from doctrine. We know that that is doctrine. We're safe there. There are things that are not doctrine, but they're not counter to doctrine. They're kind of just things that make sense, okay? And I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say that we can, as long as we refer back to doctrine and say that this doesn't counter doctrine, this might be okay as long as we don't bump up against doctrine. So doctrine, kind of things that sort of line up with doctrine, but they're not specifically spelled out in doctrine. And then there are things that are absolutely against what doctrine teaches. When you get into that counter doctrine mode, it becomes very obvious. You're doing something that is wrong. And when you're teaching that is wrong, God has a problem with that. Because when you start doing that, you're undermining the authority. You're starting to cause the leadership to have problems. But how is that something that might be appealing to others? Are there things that run counter to the the, gospel that people might like to hear? A lot of things, yes. There are things that are against what God wants to, what, in his church, and those things are popular. There are things that society wants to have happen, but they are against what God is teaching. And God is like, I can't allow that. Not in my congregation, not in my church. So when we look at things as that woman Jezebel and what was happening, the key thing that failed there was the leaders did not correct what was being taught. The leaders did not reach out and and correct that situation. And so God said, I'm gonna step in and I'm gonna correct the situation. So what's the first thing that God did? What was the first thing that God said he did in this church? He gave a wake up call to somebody, who was it? Jezebel, right? I gave her time. I reached out. I, I spoke to Jezebel, and I gave her time to repent. What did Jezebel do? Ignored it. Said, nope, I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. So there's a thing that will happen. God will reach in and attempt to correct the situation directly through some way or fashion. And if you ignore it, then God's going to take another step and then another step. And then finally, what do you think would have happened to this church if God hadn't stepped in and tried to start making corrections? Where do you think this church would have been headed? Gone off a cliff. They they would have just continued on and just zeroed out. Now, what was was the name on this church? Was it a, a Jewish church? Was it a synagogue of Baal? Was it a... No, what, what name were they using? Church of Christ. To my church. They're saying they're a faithful group of, church, of, of, of God-fearing people. And more importantly, they're saying they're Christians. And so this is the, the thing that we have to look at carefully. When someone says, I am a Christian, and they, they proclaim themselves to be a Christian, and yet they walk in a way that is completely against what Christ teaches, that is a huge wake-up call. That, That should set off every red flag in our minds because that person totally does not understand what the scripture teaches. And worse, they're teaching others around them. They're leading others away from Christ, carrying the cross saying, this is what Christ is saying. This is what Christ teaches. There are very few things that will grab God's attention quicker than that. If you are claiming to be a Christian and you are teaching the exact opposite of what it is and means to be a Christian, God has a special label for you, and that's the Antichrist. And if you've ever read about what God thinks about the Antichrist, it's not a pleasant situation. Leadership in the congregation is to make sure that we don't inadvertently step off into this role, of inadvertently being an antichrist. That is a huge responsibility to lay on anybody. When I was talking about my Marine friend, his responsibility in war, if he takes that platoon off to war and they're not prepared, they're gonna get killed, people will die. If elders allow Christians to carry the name Christian and yet behave in a manner of an antichrist, those elders will call called for account. Those elders will have to account for their lack of leadership. Along with a person who is, the, who is off sinning, the elders have that responsibility to make sure that they are leading the congregation in a way that it doesn't get into this weird case. So I mentioned elders and deacons are leaders. Through this story, who else? is a leader in this congregation at Thyteria. Who else is leading? The woman Jezebel, there we go. Her actions put her in a leadership category. True statement. So in order to lead in a congregation, do I have to have the title deacon or elder? I'm here leading a church service. I'm not a deacon or elder here, but I'm leading Sunday school. We all have the opportunity to lead at this church. There are parts that we lead. How many of us have kids? Guess what? You are a leader because there are people in your household, little ones, that are going, up, that are going to follow your example. How many of us have friends? Well, we've got a few. OK. Even one counts. In that relationship, you have the opportunity to lead. How many of us drive? Let me drive around. Okay, guess what? There are cars behind you that are going to follow you, and you're going to be leading through. How easy is it for us when we're driving to hit the brakes a little bit and let somebody merge in front of us? Oh, People are watching you. People are watching you because you know as well as I do that if you're driving along and that person could have let somebody get in front of them, but they drive right up close and they race and they, they, they merge them and they cut them off, you know what kind of person that is. And you know under your breath you go, man, if I were trying to merge and that person were doing that to me, I'd be so mad. People watch us. And so as leaders, one of the things we have to be willing to do is put the goodwill of the group ahead of the goodwill for ourselves. I know you've heard it a lot, but is it something we can really, is it something we can really do? Can I really put the brakes on and just pause for a moment and let traffic around me flow the way it's supposed to and make sure we all get there safely instead of me getting there first. That's that's something that Christ does that sort of puts everything on its head is when we start thinking about how do we lead, what's the more important thing that we lead, and what are the things that I should be carrying on as I go through things. So this world, as we found out in the case with Jezebel, this world is going to want us to do things and behave in a way that is not Christian. But we carry the title of Christian, right? How how vocal, how apparent is it to those around us that we are Christians? I talk to my friends and I talk about what I'm doing on Sunday and I let them know that I'm going to church and I tell them know what church I go to and I try to make it very clear to people that, that I am a Christian because for me that creates an accountability. If people know I'm a Christian and I know they think of me as a Christian, I tend to act and behave like a Christian. And also, I put it in my, in my mind, I have to be accountable, because when I do things out in society, I am doing things as a Christian. So, as we start walking through this, I want to read another part of Scripture. Because this is how we have to deal with the world when we carry the label as Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, starting verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need not to go out in this world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolatrous or reviler or drunkard or extortioner, not to even eat with such a person. That's the distinction. When I carry the title as Christian out into the world, I absolutely know I'm going to be encountering people who desperately need Christ. They absolutely have to know that I am a Christian and this is what being a Christian means. When I come into the church, I expect to be among brethren. I expect to be among people who also know what I know about being a Christian. Which is harder, being a Christian in the church, or being a Christian out in the world. Okay, I got both, but but I want to start here out. Hang on, just a second. Hold, hold I got. One second. Get a mic for you, because I feel some good comments.
1: Oftentimes, I look at how we behave inside the church because we know each other. with are Da 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 da. But to the world, when we, we, we interact with them, they look at us like you're just, you, you just, we have that, you know, you talked about perception, Yep. how we, we, we want so much to be right for Christ, but our, our dogmatic, our, our, the way we present, it has a tendency to turn people off. It yes. has a tendency to say people, if that's what Christianity looks like, I don't want to have any part of it and that's what you see nowadays with young people because we haven't learned how to look at people on the outside knowing that they need Christ and saying let me be gentle let me be kind let me be patient let me be long-suffering let me be loving before I use my judgment to say "Ah!" and we come off so judgmental until it's it's just, it's it's challenging. It's very challenging to let people see Christ when you, you, and you don't even see it. You're so engrossed in your love for Christ that people don't even see, they can't see him. All they see is you judging him. I think to me, that is a much tougher challenge for Christians to draw people to Christ when you have this know-it-all kind of attitude that you're the only one, you're the only one, as opposed to, Don't look at me. Look at the Christ in me that allows me to love you. In spite of fact, we see things different.
0: I love what you said. Let me put your heart and fear for just, or let me put your, your fears at ease for just a second. I know we have some other comments. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Yes. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away yourselves from the evil person. That's the piece we can't get wrong. Exactly that. I don't need to judge the world. God's already done that. I need to be a light unto the world. I need to show them loving kindness, a way to come in. We as a congregation need to lead ourselves in such a way that we are an attractive example. That people look at us and go, oh my gosh, look at those people. They are so caring. They want each other they put the brakes on and let the other people merge in front of traffic how cool is that they are willing to let others get ahead of them so that they can all reach their destination together yes
2: I think it also you also have to take in consideration there are times when you're not judging but they know that you are following God so I'll use this as an example okay at work if someone uses profanity in front of me they're like oh I'm sorry Dale I'm sorry and I'm like you don't need to be apologizing to me <laughs> you know I'm not you need to be thinking about what God is thinking about I mean of course I don't say that but I'm not judging these people right. but if someone knows that you are trying to live your life according to God and they know that they're not they feel some people feel guilty in front of you um, so, you know, in some instances, it's not about you judging, it's just about the example that you're showing and people are cognizant of that.
0: You had a good word, guilty. When people are around Christians, they see the love, they see the joy, which they should see, and that's what we should exude. But they also feel an inner pricking of their hearts. We do not need to apologize for that. As mm-hmm. Dale said, that is God speaking to them. That is God talking to their hearts. That's God saying, look, I want you to be like my my Christian example that you're seeing in front of you. These are things that are preventing you from doing that. That is a pain that every person is going to go through when they come to Christ. That pain is, I have done something wrong. We can't excuse that. We can't be the ones that try to forgive that. We simply have to help them through that challenge that emotional pain of i have done something and i have offended god in a way that i need to atone for and i need to come to god to to his grace to receive his mercy yes
2: we also need to have the humility to try to repair our witness when we aren't the best christian example in front of people okay because when people see that kind of humility they know that we do have our convictions are, are authentic because we behave in a way that doesn't doesn't present ourselves as a follower of christ we, we come off as inauthentic but if, if we have the humility to apologize or say you know hey i wasn't i was not you know acting consistent with my faith or or whatever it, it, it that goes a long way too because what satan is trying to do in this spiritual warfare is trying to convince other people that christ is illegitimate and yep. it reinforces that notion when we do something wrong we can show some humility when we, we we have done wrong it goes a lot further
0: a humble leader is that an oxymoron humble leader okay good a lot of people have this concept in their minds that the leader has to be that one that takes charge that's out front that that has that does nothing wrong that doesn't have that reason to to apologize for anything that that just is that shining example and and they take nothing off of anyone That's what a lot of people believe a leader is. That is not a leader in this congregation. That is not the leader who Christ wants. Every leader that Christ has picked has had a flaw, has had a fault, has had something about them that that people would go, really? That's who you picked? But that's who God picks because God knows our hearts. And as long as we are true to that example, and we lead using that example, we can be effective leaders, both in the congregation and in our walk with Christ outside the church. Now, we asked, I asked a question earlier, which is harder, to be a leader outside or to be a leader inside? And I heard somebody say both. I want to come back to the both. What would be a challenge? What's some of the challenges with being a leader inside of the church? And it kind of gets a little to what, what we were talking about earlier. What are some of the challenges with being a leader in this congregation, in this church? thoughts hang on just a second
2: I guess one of the challenges for me is that um, when you're in the church you know that members know the word and and know what the expectations are but yet people still don't do it yeah so that's challenging because you would expect that more people would stand up and volunteer to do different things but some people become complacent and feel like they're already checking a box but it's not about checking a box it's about doing what you're supposed to do according to what god has given you the talents to do exactly Um, so it's difficult in that sense because um you expect people to know And sometimes people know, but they're just not doing it.
0: Right. So there's the I've already done enough. That's one piece. There's another piece that is, if I try and don't succeed, I'm gonna look like a failure. I'm gonna look like a hypocrite. Let me read to your first Thessalonians five. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in the love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil or evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Does this scripture touch the leader, or does it touch the congregation? Both. There we go. A lot of people read that and they think it's applying just to the leaders or they read it and they go, oh, no, 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 this is just a congregation. It's not telling the leaders how to lead. This is for both. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to work together. The reason we hit the brakes when we're driving is because if we don't, somebody may end up in a ditch. And then the entire interstate locks down and nobody goes anywhere. The church works together in this fluid, dynamic environment and when we're loving and we give each other that room, that grace that God has given us to move, we can accomplish some pretty miraculous things. But when I stand in somebody else's way and I say, you can't go here because my interpretation of scripture prevents you from coming to this point because that's just wrong. And if I do it in a in a mean-hearted, spirited way so that I stand in front of you, I am creating a log jam. I am creating a traffic jam that's gonna block up everything in the congregation. Because now people are going to go, well, is he right? Is he taking the right stand by saying you can or can't do that? Scripturally, if I'm standing on scripture, the entire congregation shouldn't have, a con- shouldn't have a conversation about it. If the congregation is divided over how you read a particular piece of scripture, guess what we do? The noble Bereans, we study. We sit down and we go, hey, wait a minute. I, I see it this way, you see it this way maybe our perspectives are coming at this from a different point and there's something in the middle that really is what we need to be getting out of this and i'm not seeing it because i've got a different perspective than you are open-minded study of the scripture is how we're going to solve the impasses but we all have to lovingly tap the brakes a little bit and kind of give everybody the room to sort of maneuver when we see something that is out of scripture that is blatantly against what scripture is The entire congregation needs to raise its head and go, wait a minute, whoa, collectively, we think this is wrong. Anytime the elders are called to try to deal with a situation that the congregation is not completely backing the elders on, that creates some serious schisms. That causes churches to split, and it's an ugly situation. The entire congregation needs to avoid that when the elders raise their hand and when the elders say we need to address this it's twofold the elders explain why and the congregation lovingly embrace everybody involved so that we can all get on the same page again quickly and smoothly okay that's how leadership works now i mentioned a part in revelation give to each one according to your works here's here's the moment of pause here's why we have to be very careful about this In Matthew, Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler, Matthew 12. I'm sorry, after the rich young ruler, in Matthew 19, verses 27, Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits in his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Okay, that causes people to go, wait a minute, how does this last first thing work? We were just talking to a rich young ruler. And now Peter starts going, hey, I've given up everything for you, Lord. I've I've done everything for you. What am I going to get? And God gives them this comment. Many who are last will be first, but people who are first will be last. He says it again as he finishes with the parable of the workers in the field. And if you remember that parable, people came at different times of the day. And yet at the end, they all received the same denarius for their wages. And there was some grumbling about that. Like, wait a minute, I was here all day long. Listen carefully, Matthew 20, verse 10. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one then also expected, or each one of them received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour. But you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and worked through the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I have with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The caution here is, as you lead, do not assume authority with that leadership that is beyond what God is willing for you to have. Be humble in your leadership. Be humble in all the things that God is asking us to do. In humility, we accept God as our leader and we accept our position as leading as God wants us to lead. If we assume, That because something is going well, it must be going well because I am the one doing it. We have have inserted ourselves into that position, and then when things don't go so well, what's the tendency? I'm either going to deny responsibility or I'm going to assert more of myself into this because it needs to be going more the way I want it to. Okay, That is where Satan has you trapped. Satan has so many hooks that he can play along this particular trout line, if you will. I mean, you you can imagine yourself swimming along a stream, and he's got a hook here, and he's got a hook here, and he's got a hook here. All different bait, all different lures on there, trying to pull you out. And as we succeed, as we move forward in Christ, as we become leaders, as we start doing things that God wants us to do, Satan is going to try a different lure. Oh, well, spinnerbait didn't work. Let me try this worm. Hmm, how about this cricket? How about this nice juicy steak? There are things that Satan can trip us up with all along our walk with Christ. We have to be careful that we never, ever put ourselves in the driver's seat. We have to accept that we're going to be last. Well, we're going to be where God wants us to be, amen? If God wants me to be last, I will happily walk through that door as the last in line and let the door close behind me and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen, I'm here. I've made it. I have received my denarius. I have eternal life. There is nothing else in heaven that I could want more. And that's how we need to lead in this congregation. Because everyone we can get through that door to come with us, even if we're all last in line, we're all last in line, and we're all coming through the door together. Leadership here on earth is the most challenging thing that will happen for anybody in the congregation, both in and out. Because leaders, being a leader requires us to take part of ourselves and invest ourselves into this effort. Are we going to get right? Are we going to be perfect every time we step forward and try to be a leader? No, we're going to have mistakes. As leaders, leaders will probably make mistakes because we're all human. As followers, remember the choreography, the dance? the presentation of the dancers on the stage that I was talking about earlier, when we're all moving together, if the leader stumbles a little bit, the person behind that leader knows enough about what's going on, they can step up and they can continue and they can grab that leader in love and move them forward and get them back on path. And as leaders, we have to be humble enough to accept there are things we're gonna say, there are times we're gonna say things that aren't exactly right, but when somebody calls it to our attention, we can go, oh, you know, brother, you're, you're absolutely right. And I love questions and comments in this class because it helps me refine how I'm doing things, how I am teaching things. So if you have comments or questions, please let them come forward. I do not take any kind of reservation or I, I don't take a challenge at any of the comments. I consider the comments as, as a way that God keeps this class moving the way it's supposed to go and as christians i think that's how we all ought to work i should not be i should not be aggressive or resentful for somebody who's rebuking me is that easy to say i should accept rebuke with love and with compassion and humility because that person is stepping out of their comfort zone to tell me something that they see and they probably... How easy is it to rebuke someone? Let me ask that question. How easy is it to come out and tell somebody, hey, you know, I, I don't think this is quite right. I think this is... Because you might be wrong as well, right? What if that, what if that person in this church had gone to the Jezebel early on and said, hey, you know, uh, my friend, lady, we, we, we don't do that in this church. I think we need to be a little more tight with scripture. Imagine if that had been nipped in the bud early on. Satan would have had a foothold in that church. Kwezi, hold on, hold on just a second. Let me get, let me get a mic for you.
3: It is very important to, um, for, le- for the leaders to be humble and to do what the Lord has access to do. Um, what I believe is somebody can be a leader, but the people who are following, if they are not willing willing to follow, then the leadership becomes a little bit difficult because um, you are leading to achieve an objective within a community uh, like a church or in a church. So if there is something to be done, we need uh the the people who are following to be able to participate to be able to so that we can do it well but as our brother said sometimes we have so many tasks to be be performed we have so many work to be done yes but sometimes I feel like I'm being told that okay you are a leader but you are on your own
0: Mm.
3: you know you're on your own you can you have to do it by yourself you know so it brings a lot of discouragement it brings a lot of like, okay, we have this, uh, the Lord has given us this to do. I'm trying to appeal to the whole church, but the whole church is also not accepting whatever I'm appealing, you know? So it becomes like you're on your own, you have to do it by yourself, you know? So I'm appealing all the members, our brothers and sisters, that it is good that we come here every day on Sundays, it is excellent that we come here to worship the Lord Uh we come here for encouragement we come here for motivation we come here to be taught we come here to get information so that we can go out to do the work of God right you know so if there is something to be done if there is something to be done all of us must come together to do it because at the end of the day if, like, you go to school, you be in a classroom, and you are taught, and you don't even practice or you don't study whatever you have been taught, you are going to fail. It's the same thing. We can be coming here every Sunday, but what about the tasks that we have been assigned to perform? What are we doing about it? So, they said us- we should. My last point is okay. we should try to do the kingdom of God first, and everything else shall be added onto us.
0: Agreed. agree the, the kingdom is the the task at hand and and, and doing what god has us in mind is key the the elders of course set up the the church and establish the objectives the deacons are then given the tasks to make that happen and as the deacons lead and and move and make those tasks come to fruition under the leadership of the elders that is how the church Is supposed to move. We're supposed to to kind of get along and work together, understanding that there are broad objectives, broad priorities that the elders have provided, the deacons have specific tasks and specific missions that they're given to do. And some tasks are heavier than others. There's some work that needs a lot of people to step into and work through those. And so as we work through, Being a leader, sometimes we're a leader and we're out in the field and we're trying to encourage others to help us do a particular task that's given to us. And again, back to the elders who set the broad priority and the objectives and line the church up to make it happen. We follow the elders because that is how God set this up. God gave the elders a particular responsibility to lead the congregation. The deacons have a job of leading tasks and the congregation has an obligation, Christian obligation, to kind of follow through that. One of the most difficult things the elders have to deal with is discipline in the church. And we talked about this collectively, but I want to read through Galatians 6 again. Because this is, this is how this works. It's done in love. It's done in a disciplined fashion that encourages a solution, not a penalty. It is focused on forgiveness and redemption not judgment read brethren if a man is overtaken in trespass you who are spiritual restore such a one as in spirit of gentleness considering yourselves lest you also be tempted in other words we're all fallible we all have the opportunity to to step in and make trespasses understand that as people help us get through they're breaking and letting us merge we break and let other people merge we have to do that together in love we can't do it with a with an iron fisted disciplinarian kind of thought. Bear one another's burdens so and fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own works, and then he will rejoice in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. There is a burden that each one of us has to bear, but collectively we can help everyone else out as we work through what God has decided for us to do, each of our talents that we're given, the skills that we have, the opportunities that we're presented. Like Kwesi said, sometimes we feel like we're kind of by ourselves, but we're not. We have this congregation to lean on. We have the elders who are looking out for our best interests. We have the deacons who are trying to make things happen. And we have the opportunity to lead others to Christ. And that is what this church is all about. And if we don't have that one lined up, if we don't have that priority of leading others to Christ, then please talk to the elders or a deacon or somebody else, because we would love to help you make sure we get that as a square one priority. But that said, I'm out of time today. I appreciate everybody's comments coming in. Again, I, I, I think of those as ways to make this, this particular class better, and we will talk again next week. Thanks, thanks again.
1: Thank you, Brother Allen.